Genesis 6 and verse 12, the Bible. It's like it's, it's, you read this passage and it's, it's like reading a contemporary news report. The word of the Lord says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. I mean, that sounds like foxnews.com presently. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Let's jump to the other side of the story, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. For the word of the Lord says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah gets a warning from God of something that nobody had ever seen before. There have been no floods before this. He's warned of God of something that he's never witnessed before. But he is moved enough by it with a righteous fear of God that he got very intentional and proactive in obeying God's commandments. And he built an ark. Now, I know we always... Think about, you know, the animals. I don't know how many have ever been to the, to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky where they got that massive replica of the Ark. If you haven't gone, it's really cool to see. But we always think of the, of the Ark and the animals, you know, two by two up the, up the plank. Not sure why he brought mosquitoes, but we'll discuss that in heaven someday. Seems like chiggers could have been left behind. Just my thinking. But we always think of it, the image, you know, of the zebras walking up the plank, of the two giraffes coming in the lines and whatever. And I know it was built to that purpose, to preserve all those species. But you know what? If God had just let them all drown, he could have made brand new ones. He didn't need the ark to save giraffes because he could have made new giraffes. But what the ark did, Noah, it saved his family. He went to a lot of work and brought on board a lot of hay and oats, whatever else, to make sure those animals were taken care of. The Bible says in Hebrews, his building that thing, it doesn't note that it saved the aardvarks. I'm in Georgia. Saved the bulldogs. It saved his family. So my message tonight at the outset of this year as we kind of get refocused again is this. Gentlemen, build your boat right. Build your boat right. I will let you be seated if you'll smile. If you're going to keep looking at me like some of you have thus far, please remain standing so we can spot you. I, I, I come at the outset of this message tonight to confront you with a truth to be quite honest, is unlikely to be heralded elsewhere. 
because manhood is downplayed in this society. In fact, masculinity, they've come up with a new adjective to describe it. It's toxic. The media, Hollywood, sitcoms, they all portray men in a negative light. It's very rare that there's any, any entertainment venue that depicts the father as anything other than stupid or lazy or bumbling or out of touch, morally adrift. He is rarely the source of wise counsel or loving relationships or spiritual guidance. Manhood in general in our society is downplayed. Many years ago, and some of you are old enough with me to remember when our then Vice President Dan Quayle dared to suggest that maybe Murphy Brown ought not portray being an out-of-wedlock mom as the best choice in life, and he was excoriated by the cultural elite for daring to suggest that anybody needed a man in the home. But I kind of stand here today in opposition to the prevailing themes of postmodern culture to remind you, gentlemen, that there is a God-ordained pattern in the home. And even if the feminist movement resents it and rebels against it, the scriptures are still quite clear. There is a divine order in God's household. 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Gentlemen, you matter. I, 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 I don't want to do this just to build your ego. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say that if you spent your time running around stomping your foot saying, I'm in charge, you're not in charge. So I'm not trying to build a generation of tyrants or dictators or egomaniacs that want to run around through your family declaring your sovereignty, but I am trying to awaken us to the fact that within the spiritual order of God's home, he puts significant value on you as a man in your home. And even if our culture tries to tell you that masculinity is toxic, I say that masculinity yeah. Masculinity is spiritual, and there's something good about a man. I'm telling you, your family needs a dad that worships. Your household needs a dad that's faithful. Your kids need a dad that they don't have to wonder if you're going to go to church with your wife on Sunday, but they get up with the calm confidence that dad's going to be wrapping a tie around his neck and getting the car warmed up because my daddy sets the spiritual tone in our household. You matter. You matter. You're the key to the salvation of your home. Your spiritual leadership is vital to having the home and the family that God wants you to have. Noah is, man, he is one of the more intriguing characters on Scripture stage. It is difficult to imagine the events that unfolded in his life. Oh, I know we can recite them, and we've heard them since we were children. But you try to imagine living in a world where every man alive is wicked, corrupt, and devilish, and you are the only righteous man on the planet. Let's get your mind around that for a minute. Imagine having God speak to you. And tell you that it would rain and flood the earth when it's never rained before. And imagine being commissioned after that warning to build an ark, a boat to house pairs of animals and food for their survival. 
And imagine receiving that commission when you are nearing your 500th birthday. That's a, that's a lot of candles to blow out. And yet, when God begins to list the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, among the very first of those named is this man Noah. And it is recorded of him that he was moved with fear by the word of the Lord and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Hear me well. His awareness of the coming judgment compelled him to action. Is there anybody besides me that just thinks the Lord has to be coming back soon? I look around this world, I'm convinced the rapture of the church has to be coming very soon. And I'm going to tell you that ought to do a couple things to us. It ought to make us lift up our eyes with excitement and anticipate the sounding of the trumpet. But it also ought to make us get downright serious about what we're doing to influence our family and our church. I'm telling you the time to kind of be on the bubble is past. you got to make up your mind. I'm in this thing with everything I've got. The Lord's about to come. The judgment of God is about to fall on this planet. I've just got a narrow window of time to be able to influence my family for righteousness. And I'm like Moses. I'm like Noah. I'm moved with fear. Folks, i got to say, I want my family to be saved. I want my family to be saved. I want my wife to be saved. I want my kids to be saved. I want my grandchildren to be saved. We've got to get passionate about this thing. Because Noah didn't leave it to chance. Noah didn't leave it to happenstance. He got intentional and he built something. His fear of the Lord and his anticipation of the coming judgment drove him to build something that would lift his family up higher than the conditions of this world. I'm going to structure something. I'm going to build something that when the corruption starts to rise, it's going to lead my family up higher. I just want to spend a few moments tonight to challenge you precious men of, of Atlanta West. You've got to be a boat builder. You've got to be a boat builder. We need men involved in ship construction. We're raising our families in a corrupt world. This world is going down. Societal mores have disintegrated until our culture would hardly be recognizable to those who passed this way a generation ago. Father Knows Best has been replaced with Heather Has Two Mommies. Something as fundamental as the distinction between male and female is now apparently so complicated that only the college educated can sort that conundrum out. I thought I had it figured out in kindergarten. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar year industry and is now routinely accessed within homes throughout our community. The statistics tell us that the rate at which it is viewed is no different in Christian homes than in non-Christian homes. The average child is exposed to pornography by their seventh birthday. More than 70 million babies have been slaughtered in the name of convenience. And the new buzzword tolerance makes it politically incorrect for anyone to take a stand against anything. And into that environment, the voice of the Lord speaks to you just as certainly as it spoke to Noah. I'm getting ready to bring this thing down. And your job, 
is to build something in the way of commitment and devotion and dedication that your family can crawl inside of. And as this world goes down, it starts to lift your family up. And I don't mean to be ugly, but it's not your church's job to build your church, your family a boat. Uh, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's not your youth pastor's job to be sure your kids know, Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one. It's not your pastor's job to make sure your kids have moments in the altar. I'm going to It's your job, sir. The burden rests on you. God looks at you and says, build something for your family and build something for your family and build something for your family and build something for your family. And I'm just a voice echoing the voice of God. There's judgment coming, and I'm pleading with you to please build something that will lift your family up out of this corruption. And I, I get it. I understand from firsthand experience that even if you build the boat, each member of your family will one day make the decision whether they get in or not. And that choice will be laid at their feet and not yours. Well, this message is not to condemn anyone who has a child who has opted to take his or her chances with the flood rather than the safety of what you built. But it is a call for boat builders tonight. Gentlemen, this is our responsibility. God did not speak to Mrs. Noah. He spoke to the man. And he said, get your tools and get your materials and get your plans and then get to work. And so I offer the call of the Lord to the men of this great church tonight. Build it, sir. Your soul depends on it. Build it, sir. Your wife depends on it. Build it, sir. Your children's eternity depends on it. Build it, Noah. The flood is coming. Build it, Atlanta West. The rapture is coming. Build it, sir. Time passes so quickly. Build it, sir. Nobody's going to build it for you. The responsibility is yours and yours alone. You will answer for the boat that you build for your soul and family, and I will answer for the boat I build for mine. Now, the story of Noah teaches me a few things. And right now, some of you are wondering how many there are. <laughs> Not telling. But let me tell you, let me just run through them. The first thing I learned is this about this story of Noah, and that is this. There are aspects of the boat that are specifically defined. See, God recognized that Noah didn't know anything about boat building. He'd never built one before. And he didn't work at a shipyard. And so God gave him some specific instructions. You build it. If a cubit is 18 inches, which is roughly what we think it was, then you build this boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. He told him exactly how many floors it was supposed to have, three floors. It's to have one window that goes around the top, 18 inches down from the top. It's to have one door, and that door, he said, was to be in the side of the boat. God expected the entire structure to be made of gopher wood. Would you like to know why Noah's family survived and we're even here today? Thank you for asking. Genesis 6, Thus did Noah, according to all, everybody say all, all that God commanded him, so did he. He built it 
just like God said to build it. Now, you can believe what you want. America's a free country. I have the mic. But I believe that if he had opted for oak, that boat would have sunk. If he had decided to put in four floors, the ark would have capsized. If he decided that he personally thought a second door would be wise because we need fire egress, we're never going to get this passed. Code will not allow us to have only one access door. I'm going to put another one down in the end. That boat, that door would have leaked, and that boat would have gone down. Somebody said that the greatest advice Noah got was to keep the woodpeckers above the water line. Ponder that one if your neighbor didn't get it. What I'm saying is that as men, we better recognize that God has some absolutes that cannot be tampered with. See, God doesn't really care about Noah's opinion. He didn't sit down and give him building plans and say, now what do you think? He just said, if you want to save your family, I get to set down some rules. I, 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 <laughs> See, God has this identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And he doesn't give suggestions. He lays out instructions. And since he said, Noah, you've never built a boat before. You've never ridden out a flood before. It's not God being obnoxious giving him instructions. And it's not God on an ego trip telling him what to do. That's the mercy of God saying, I know you don't know how to build it, so I'm going to tell you how to build it. Can I tell you today that when God says you must be born again, that's not God on an ego trip. That's God saying you never took a family to heaven before. You never took a family through the rapture before. I'm going to give you some instructions and tell you. Oh, come on, somebody. We need men with steel backbones to stand up and stare down the world and say, you may think there's a better way to build it, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We better recognize that God has some absolutes that cannot be tampered with. We better be men with steel backbones who are willing to take a stand and say, I know our world systems say there are better ways to build a boat. And that this old boat plan we've got is a little old-fashioned. And I know much of the religious world says these patterns are outdated. And I know there's even some within the framework of the apostolic world that have decided that their ideas are more valuable than the blueprints that God gave. Well, you build yours however you want, but I want to get out of this world. I want to go up in the rapture. I want to see him face to face. And if he's given me some instructions, I don't get to negotiate and argue with that book. I just plant my feet in the church and say, Pastor, tell me what he said. And that's how I'm going to build my boat. Got to be some men, resolute men, who will stare down the doctrinal compromising of our age and this wide open opinion in our culture that every idea is as good as every other idea. And say, wait just a minute. I have not built my life on man's opinions. I'm not structuring my family on the latest pop psychology fad. I've gone back to a tried and tested book. And here's the plans for my boat. And I will build my boat about some unshakable, non-negotiable truths of God's word. I don't get the luxury of voicing my opinion. 
I doubt if anybody here knew my daddy. But maybe you had one like him. My dad had never read the book, The Art of Negotiation. He didn't have that book on his bookshelf. When, when he told me something, here's another thing. My dad was brilliant, okay? My dad fought in the Korean War, grew up just a dirt poor farm in southeastern Illinois. I mean, he said, we didn't know we were the folks the poor folks felt sorry for. <laughs> he told me one time, he said, there actually was a word for people poorer than us, dead. He said, we didn't know it. He grew up dirt poor on his farm, went in the, went in the Army and Korean War. They gave him an IQ test. It was 152. He was a brilliant man. But my dad, for all his brilliance, could not count to three. I know he couldn't because never once in my life did he tell me to do something and go, one, two. I can only assume he lacked the numerical skills and didn't want to embarrass himself in front of me by going, what comes next? I'll tell you what came next. It wasn't a number. You understand? Just my dad had this strange idea that because he was dad, if he said something, and I quickly understood the concept. I don't, my IQ was his like his, but it didn't take me long to figure this out. I didn't count to three either. <laughs> he said it. We did it. That's just how life worked. Oh, your dad was a bully. Call him what you want. I understood where I stood with him. And I knew quite well when he spoke, that was not the time for me to go, well, dad, you know what I think is? My dad cared very little for what I thought. Did you know my dad? Okay. Did you have a dad that was his cousin? Yeah, okay. I just, all I'm saying is I fear you know, we love to say, well, we're not like this world. Well, we, we need not be, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I'm afraid some of the spirit of this age begins to affect us a little bit. This thing about question authority, well, you know, my opinion, I think. I, who do we think we are as compared to him? If that book says something, God doesn't count to three. He doesn't give us instruction and then go, rapture no God has this this idea that if he tells us something that's what we do I want to be that child of God that has immediate willing obedience to the word of God because look I, I, I want my boat to float I want to get out of here one day I heard Ron Mullins from California one time say, I would a whole lot rather get to the gates of heaven with a dump truck too much than a thimble full too little. Well, I don't really know if that matters or not. I'd rather get to heaven and be saved than get there and find out it mattered. All I'm trying to tell you is we got to build this thing the way God said to build it. And if God said be faithful to the house of God, I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. And if God said I ought to be a worshiper, I'm going to be a worshiper. And if God tells me I ought to have time in prayer, I'm going to spend time in prayer. And if God tells me we're going to live holy, I'm going to live holy because I want my family to get up out of this world. Going back to this book, not arguing with her voice. why some people are so put off by rules or laws or statutes. Man, God told me, 
all these rules, that just bothers me. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about God's instructions. Psalm 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Lord. His commandments are not grievous. His commandments are beautiful. Noah didn't mind a few guidelines. He needed some direction. Okay, so like I, I've never rebuilt a transmission. If God came to me and said, son, for your family to be saved, you have to rebuild a transmission. Good luck. I'm going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Could, you got an instruction manual for me maybe? You got a, like a YouTube channel, Lord, I can go to? I'm going to need some help here. I've never done that before. I've never taken a family to heaven before. Amen. I need a little affirmation. I've never led a family out of a corrupt world into a perfect holiness of God. So if God says, I want you to lead your family in a spiritual walk, I don't want him to just look at me and go, well, good luck. I want him to give me some instructions. And when he does, I'm not going to bow up and try to argue and fuss about a better way to do it. I'm going to listen to the voice of the Lord. God's guidelines are not burdens. They are blessings. 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 So, so, there are aspects of this boat that are definitively defined. Second point, there are aspects of this boat that are not spelled out. Please note that God did not tell Noah which floor to store the food on, which floor the elephants should go. He didn't tell him how many cages to build or how big they should be. He didn't tell him which size chambers to build. God didn't spell it all out. Listen to me carefully. God gave Noah some absolutes, and then he asked Noah to make some wise decisions himself. Can I preach to you that you're going to have to make some decisions because of what's inside of you and not just because of a list of guidelines? I'm an amen myself. There better be a moral and ethical code inside of you. The Holy Ghost that lives in you better lead and guide us. We're not going to build this boat and get out of this world on a list of rules long enough to keep our family righteous. At some point, we need men of the Spirit to rise up and say, I may not have a black and white commandment, but I've been praying and talking to God, and I think my family would be better off if we did this and this and this. Let something rise up inside of us and guide us in this thing. You're going to have to make some decisions because of who's inside of you and not just because of a list of rules that lets you sing in the choir. You better make life choices based on the safety of your family rather than the selfishness of your flesh. When it comes to building your boat, 
There better be some personal convictions that guide your life and your family. If the only building specs you have are those imposed from without, then you may not ride this thing out very comfortably. Please understand me. I'm not suggesting that each of us is just supposed to do what's right in our own eyes. That's a recipe for disaster. Proverbs 16.2 says that all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Anything I think of, I'm going to think is good. Israel's downfall during the season of the judges was that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'm not talking about how things look to my eyes. I'm talking about getting close enough to God that I can see how my boat looks through his eyes. The Holy Ghost that is in you is to lead and guide you. I must be more than a man married to a church code of conduct. I've got to be a man in love with Jesus Christ. My dear brothers, that if every one of us could fall in love with Jesus, then all of a sudden we wouldn't have to have the church laying down every guideline for our lives. We just live in a manner that pleases the one we love. Your family depends on you. Your pastor needs you. Stand up and lead. I, I, was, I was preaching at church one time. Um, Located between the oceans, <laughs> north of Bolivia and south of Santa. I've been here for two or three nights. On Sunday morning, this family walks in. They, they come up and sit uh, about halfway up. They'd been there all week, uh, you know. And, and, and this guy and his daughter walked in with him. She's probably 14, 15 years old. And I don't, I don't mean to be... I mean, I want to be kind here. Um, I have more fabric in my hanky than she was wearing, okay? Is that a nice way to say it? She was, she was insufficiently clad. I'm trying to be kind. Now, I wasn't mad at her. She's a teenager. She's dumber than hair. Okay? Sorry, guys. This is... Let me just explain what's happening in your body right now, okay? Here's what's going on. Somewhere along about 11 or 12, your brain dehydrates. It does. It just it, it, it shrivels up like a little dried-up walnut. It just kind of rattles around in your head. And... But the cool thing is, along about 25 or so, one day you take a drink, and your brain goes, and you're back, and we welcome you home every time that happens. It's great. Your parents love that moment. When you get about 23 or 4, they're going to be pouring water for you all the time, hoping that's the day your brain rehydrates. It's okay. We love you in the meantime. You're going to give us grandkids one day. That's why we don't kill you. It's all right. I wasn't upset at this girl. She's a teenager. But I wanted to go back to her dad and say, sir, excuse me, can I pray for you? Because obviously you've gone blind. Because there's no way you wanted your daughter to walk outside looking like that. So obviously you have lost your sight. I'd like to pray. I don't know how you drove here. Thank God for his mercy. But I need to pray for you that God will restore your sight. And when you get your eyesight back, you're going to look at your daughter and go, oh. Now that's my snarky, cynical side happening. I didn't do that. But I thought, that dear child, what she needs. I wanted to give him five bucks and tell him to go visit www.buyaspine.com 
Because what she needed was a dad willing to stand up and say, sweetheart, I love you. We ain't wearing that. pastor she don't need he didn't need to bring her to church and hope the pastor calls her in and tells her she's immodest he needed to grow up and be a man and stand up and say i don't need a scripture that specifically addresses that outfit i just need to stand up with an internal ethical code and say as for me and my house we will serve the lord gentlemen i'm just telling you at some point okay no, I'm not. I'm not sorry, but here goes. If you've never stood up and said, you know what? We're not watching that in this house. You are not doing your job. If you've never stood up and said, I'm sorry, we don't wear that in this house. You are not doing your job. Some of you have met my daughter. You may not know it. Uh, Braxton Powell, who's come down and done some video work around your place here occasionally. My, my daughter Jessica is his wife, is, and he, she's, a, she's been a wonderful girl to raise, a joy to raise. She's never given me, you know, huge, significant trouble, and I thank God for it. Her brother made up for it. But if you think I've never had to look at her and say, sweetheart, yeah, we're not wearing that. Of course I've had to. That's my job. Now, it's not my job to be a bully or to be mean. Hear me. I'm not supposed to provoke her to wrath, but I am supposed to be willing to take a stand and not expect the church to do what I refuse to do. Gentlemen, you've got to build your boat around some things that emanate from inside of you and not just stuff on the outside. Because the choices, oh, help me, Holy Ghost, the choices you make are going to influence how your kids get out of this world. Watch, watch, watch. We want a king. You don't want a king, Israel. I'm your king. We want a king. You don't want a king. We want a king. Why do you want a king? Because all the nations around us have kings. We want to be like them. We want to be like the world. You don't want a king. Yeah, we do. Give us a king. Till God finally said, okay, all right. I'll give you a king, but watch. He said, here's what that king's going to do to you. He's going to take a tenth of your grain, a tenth of your produce, a tenth of your flocks. But that's not the worst part. He's going to take your sons and make them run in front of his chariots. He's going to take your daughters and make them bakers and confectionaries. Hear the word of the Lord. You made the choice. Your kids pay the price. I plead with you. Make choices that will get your family up out of here. What pleases God? What honors Christ? What makes him smile? Not just what will send me to hell, but what helps my family get out of this world? Those are the planes of construction last. Okay, I got to hurry. Number three. I know you're really wondering how many there are now. Number three. The boat that survives is not always the best looking one. Think about what that thing looked like. It's a box. This is not a yacht. It's a barge. And it stank. It's full of animals and what animals do. My wife and I were in Florida some years back, preached to pastor's wife. We stayed over on Monday. They're friends, so we stayed over on Monday. And he took us on a dinner cruise on the intercoastal waterway down near uh, Miami, Fort, Fort Lauderdale, down that area. And uh, we're going, it's this, narrated cruise. We're going to buy some fabulous houses. 
And uh, we, we're getting right around this bend. And he said, now, when we get around this next bend, he said, you're going to see some of, the, some of the biggest and finest yachts in the United States of America in this marina right around here. We round the corner, and oh, my. And, and in, the, in the first one, sitting right there in the first slip closest to us, he said, that one belongs to Jeff Gordon, the NASCAR racer. Now, if you're a fan of NASCAR, I'm as happy as I can be for you. They have never invented a device sensitive enough to measure how little I care. Okay, I'm just telling you. Now, if that's, I know I'm in Georgia, and maybe that's your thing, and I'm just so happy for you. I just, zero interest, zero, zero. And I'm looking at that thing. He pays, he pays $20,000 a month for the slip to park it in. The boat was like $35 million or something. And he pays $20,000 a month, quarter million dollars a year, just to park it. He has a full-time captain that makes six figures, two deckhands that are full-time that live on the boat all the time. He said, on average, that boat is out of its slip three weeks a year. And two of those weeks are just for the crew to take it out to keep the engines working well. And all I could think is, that dude's got that kind of money for remembering one thing. Drive fast, turn left. Drive fast, turn left. Drive fast, turn left. Drive fast. I don't get it. Anyway. Now, though, that I will have to say, it was quite a ship. Teakwood decks, leather cushions, leather couches, gold fixtures. I mean, it was beautiful. And if you put upside Noah's ark and said, From this perspective, not even a choice. I'll take the one with the jacuzzi instead of the hippos and the shovels. I mean, it's not even a choice. If you're only concerned with fair weather, but if there's a storm coming, I want the one that's going to keep my family safe, even if it's not as pretty as some others look. You hear what I'm telling you? You better make your choices about what you're going to get yourself out of here and not just what looks for. Here's what I'm saying. I may not be able to compete with the mega church down the road. I may not have the campus they have. I may not have the programs they have, but I tell you what I've got. I've got a doctrine that will get us up out of here when the trumpet sounds. I've got... Don't you dare get tempted by the teakwood decks and the leather cushions. I'd rather take the ark that God ordained that's going to get us up out of here. I'm simply saying that some of our choices may not make, make sense. Some of our decisions may not be logical from a human perspective. And they may laugh at us and they may mock us. But honey, when the trumpet sounds, you're going to be glad you planted your feet in the apostolic church and said, I'm not going anywhere. Because I'm not building a family to survive 70 years. I'm building a family to survive a million years and more. And so you go ahead. Go ahead. Show your children how to buy new toys. We're giving them missions. Go ahead. Teach your kids by your example that faithfulness to church is optional. It may not make sense, but I'm making some choices based on what lasts. While you're busy with this life, I'm planning for the next one. 
All right, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Here's the last point. Now I'll tell you. It's the last one. The boat that survives must be pitched inside and out. God told Noah, the waterproofing is important. Take pitch and cover that boat on the outside and the inside. See, here's the thing, Noah. There's going to be pressure from what's out there to try to seep in here. And you can't trust your safety to pitch that's only on the outside where people can see it. You're going to need to waterproof your life inside and out. It's not enough to have your security resting on either one without the other. Gentlemen, I plead with you, cover your life where people can see it and where they can't see it. Seal up the leaks that are public and seal up the leaks that are private. Be the same on the inside as you are on the outside. Be the same out of the light as you are in the light. Be the same on vacation as you are on Sunday. Same pitch. Not public pitch and private pitch. The same pitch. And you know what? It's a lot harder to put pitch on the inside of the boat than the outside. You can slop it all over the outside of the boat real easy. You can dress up for Sunday pretty easy. But you start crawling around down in the corners of your life, down where your motives are, down where your attitudes are. And it's a lot harder to get down there and seal up all the corners of that. But, but he said, no, if you want this thing to float, there's going to be constant pressure trying to push that stuff into your life. You better seal your life inside and out. Both matter. Don't try to tell me how we look doesn't matter. That pitch on the outside is important. But don't deceive yourself that just because you look Pentecostal, that's good enough. You've got to get this thing down inside too. The only boat that's safe, tell you what makes your family float, is to get this thing on the inside as well as the outside. It's got to be not just the public expression that everyone sees, but the inside of your day-to-day life. I don't want my apostolic Christianity just to be something my family wears on the outside. I want it down in our hearts, and it takes work to get it there. So let me finish here. The ark's value was not readily apparent during some of the construction process. Lots of hard work, year after year, of sawing, shaping, fitting, assembling, pitching, blisters, splinters, bruises, sore muscles, And all the stings of mockery from the neighbors around him who told him that none of that was necessary. But can I tell you something, my dear brothers? One raindrop changed everything. The first raindrop that hit on his forehead and ran down his weather-streaked face. And all of a sudden, all that work, all that sacrifice, and all the mocking, and all the labor was worth every bit. When he watched his boys and their families come on board that thing 
and God shuts up the door and the thunder starts to roll and the rain starts to fall. All of a sudden, it didn't matter what anybody said about him. Why? Because all that was saving his family. The sacrifice didn't seem so extreme. The guidelines weren't so burdensome. Even that ugly old pitch looked beautiful on that day. Well, maybe it's not even possible for us to fully appreciate the church like we will one day. Because it's work to raise a godly family and establish a righteous home. Blood, sweat, tears, disappointments, broken trust, hurts, and an enemy that mocks you at every turn saying just throw in the towel, give it up. How you're living is crazy. That doesn't really matter all that much. My dear brothers, one note on a trumpet is going to change all that. Because on that day when the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, on that day, I'm not going to care how anybody made fun of me when my family and I are leaving the ground to go marching through gates and throw our crowns at his feet. We are not going to care how anybody made fun of us. We're not going to care how much people said it wasn't necessary. We're not going to care how the enemy laughed at us. We're just going to go sailing up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And on that day, thank God for everything. Everything we did to get our family 